My beloved in Jesus Christ, our Lord, this past week I got to go to our parish in Anchorage, Alaska, St. Nicholas. It was a wonderful trip, a beautiful community. They've been around since the mid-60s, late 67, 60, somewhere right there. So they've been around for a long time, a lot of history there, beautiful church, and then I got to go uh, somewhat north to Wasilla, where the outreach or the mission is, the mission of Blessed Theodore Ramja, and meet some of the people there. And then for the day, um, one of the periods of days, we got to go to Alaska, and I got to see that beautiful part of the country. Big country, and I was only in Anchorage. And everywhere you go, there's bear signs and moose signs. Beware, beware. And they say in the city, there could be over 1,500 moose at any one time within the city. So imagine a 1,300-pound animal walking around. Anyway, it was a wonderful visit. I learned something about geography there because there was snow in the hills. They had smaller trees than we do. They're not apparently the short growing season or something. And then, so, then it goes up, and then you got the mountains and the snow. And it seemed like the snow was close, and I go, wow, we must be really high up in altitude. And I looked to my right, and there was the ocean. I go, wait a minute, I'm at sea level. And it dawned on me in my pea brain, it's not altitude, but latitude that's causing the snow to be so close to us. So anyway, little experience I had. But wonderful people, faith-filled people that love their little Byzantine church as much as you and I. And uh, so they're marvelous people. A lot of history and tradition that they shared with me. So I enjoyed my visit very much. In our gospel... And we had two Gospels today because this Sunday we commemorate the first six ecumenical councils. These councils came about because errors that began to be taught by various people. And the church had to come together and clarify, who is this Jesus? You know, the apostles had an experience, they wrote about him, and then as time went on, the church learned to discover deeper and deeper the truths of who he is and who he is not. And so we have the councils and the decrees that come out of the council and those wonderful men, that the bishops that debated and debated until the truth rang out and they made the, the decrees that they did that clarify and put a fence around for us who Jesus is so we don't go too far astray. But one of the things we heard last night as a fruit of this, the councils in Vespers, we kept hearing this refrain would come through, that the one divine person had two natures, one human and one divine. The one divine person, the Logos, had two natures come down to earth, one human and one divine. Now, we read the story of these Gospels all the time, and we might get stuck in the fact thinking that this is some historical thing about somebody that lived a long time ago. But what we keep failing to remember is that that person, Jesus, that's read about and written about in the Gospels is that one divine person and two natures. So Jesus had heard about the death of John the Baptist, and he went off into a boat with his disciples. He wanted to go to a quiet place. But the others found out where he was going and wanted to be around him. 
So when Jesus got to where his destination was, a throng of people were there to meet him. And you can see what kind of person this divine person is in two natures is like. We can see that he is hungry, that those around him experience the love of God that he is. And so when he sees him, he is so moved with compassion for his creation that he starts healing their sicknesses and diseases. His creation. Now in this moment, the apostles have been traveling with Jesus and they've been seeing a lot of miracles, a lot of wonder-working things that he has done. But they took it upon themselves to tell this one divine person in two natures what to do. Forgetting or not even having a close understanding of who he is. Teacher dismissed the crowds. You know, you're getting carried away, we got to let them go. And Jesus calls them on the carpet. No, you do it. If you're so smart and all-knowing, you dismiss the crowds. No, excuse me, Jesus says, they don't need to go. You give them something to eat yourselves. And they backpedal. We only have a, some loaves of bread and a couple fish. Now they have forgotten all the miracles that he did. Forgot the fact that he could read their minds. Remember how many times did he read the hearts and minds of the Pharisees and then told them what they were thinking. It probably unnerved the disciples just as much as when Pawnee Kelly does it to me and reads my mind. Quite unnerving when it happens. So, he shows them who he is. He takes the bread and the fishes. It is this one divine person in two natures who looks up into heaven, who blesses the bread, who blesses the fish, who breaks the bread. But then he gives it back to the disciples. And they are to distribute the broken bread. Now that should ring in your ears a prefigurement of the Holy Eucharist, right? Last night at Vespers, we heard about Melchizedek offering bread and wine. We can't help thinking when, of, of the, whole, the manna that came down from heaven in the time of the Israelites when they were out in the Sinai. But that bread, you could only gather enough what you needed for the day and the rest would become corruptible. But what Jesus is preparing the disciples for is something greater that will take place in a little while. And that's the institution of the Eucharist, where he would be the bread, and he would be the wine. It would be his body and his blood. And he's given the, given the apostles, preparing them, because they won't fully understand until Pentecost, what their role is. You are to feed the masses. 
You are to heal the sick and minister to the hungry and preach to the poor. But remember, I'm the one that makes the work happen. It's not by your power, by your authority, but by mine. Now, Jesus doesn't want us just to survive, just to exist. He wants us to thrive. And so that great gift that our gospel today is prefiguring, we are given on the night he was betrayed at the Last Supper. When he says that this, when he talks about giving us, take this bread and eat, this is my body, take this chalice and drink, this is my blood, referring to what he had said earlier, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has life in him, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. So now think about it. This one divine person in two natures has given himself physically to you and I. He is just as present to you and I when we partake of the holy mysteries, as he was there. In fact, even more so, because he's inside of us now. That one divine person in two natures, you are partaking of. Now, this whole, you have to hold yourself accountable. Because this is God, who's Lord himself, and allowed himself to be partaken of by you and by I. So as we live our lives, we have to make sure that our lives are congruent with the one that we have just partaken of. We can see why St. Paul says, that we have to be careful of when we partake, that we don't sin, lest we heap coals of condemnation upon our heads. So we judge ourselves. If we've got Christ in us, we have to live that life that He's called us to. But when we do live this life, and it's not easy, but he promised he would be with us and he'd give us all graces to live it out, then we won't just survive, but we will thrive. Then, as we hear in the second gospel reading, we will allow our lives, our light within us to shine before men, that they may see our good deeds and give praise to God. See our good deeds because they can see Christ actively living in us. You know, when you talk about degrees, a half a degree from here to the center of the cross right there, it's not much, is it? So if I go off a little bit, it's not much. But a mile down the road, that half degree ends up quite a bit. The same in our lifetime. 
We're called to live that straight line the best we can to our telos, to our goal. But when we allow our passions to start to run amok, we start to go off a degree from center. But over a course of lifetime, if we don't correct it, pretty soon what seems so insignificant can be very big. But thank God he gives us a way to come back to center. And he gives us the sacrament of confession and the other sacraments that are given for the forgiveness of sins, one of which is the reception of the Holy Eucharist, as we say in our prayers. God has given us this great gift of his Son to you and I, that one person in two natures wants you and I to thrive. So he gives us all the means possible to make that happen. To the point of lowering himself so much that he allows himself to become food. But not like the food in the desert where the manna would corrupt. But food that would well up into eternal life in you and I. So when we come here and we gather and we hear those words, take and eat, take and drink, and we see the action of breaking the bread and it being distributed... We know the source of that. That some man didn't just make it up, but it was the one divine God, the Logos himself, in two natures, who gave us such a great gift. So let us live our lives worthy of that gift. And when we stumble and fall, we get up and we strive to correct our lives and move forward. But in doing that, over the course of a lifetime, we will grow into great holiness and reflect more and more His image and likeness, His love and mercy and charity. And then the world around us will see the light shining in us. And they will see our good deeds that we show to one another. And they too will give praise to God for the light of Christ is living among us in each and every one of us. Jesus didn't say this was going to be easy. He knew it was going to cause divisions among us, out in the world. But for those who stay true to his word, we are assured of eternal life.